Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 10 of Rural Improvement by Frank A. Waugh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information on volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 10. Rural Architecture In architecture, the two elements of art, utility and beauty, meet in a peculiarly uneven balance. Every work of architecture grows out of a genuine utilitarian need. The bridge, the church, and the silo, each is built to serve some very definite purpose, yet each must be, in its way, beautiful. An ugly church, an ugly bridge, or an ugly silo is inexcusable. Men and women must spend their precious daily lives looking at these objects. If each look brings pleasure, then these workers of architecture are serving a higher purpose in human happiness than in meeting the needs which first call them forth. On the other hand, if every look at bridge or church or solo fills a beholder with disappointment and disgust, it were better that a car wheel had been tied about that architect's neck, and he had been drowned in the depths of the great salt lake. Architecture plays a great part, almost a leading role in community betterment, if we are able to have a country beautiful or a village beautiful, and at the same time useful, architecture must be appealed to on many sides. There must be good and beautiful houses for homes, substantial, convenient, dignified public buildings, serviceable and beautiful barns, attractive bridges, and many other public and private works of the right kind. Let us begin with the farmhouses. It is well known that the farmhouses of America leave much to be desired. Just why they should continue to be so ugly and inconvenient is very hard to explain. To be sure, farmers generally do not and cannot employ expensive architects in planning their houses. But there are plenty of good models described and illustrated in the magazines for which the farmer subscribes. And furthermore, there have been excellent traditions in some parts of the country which should have had a greater influence. There are three good types of farmhouse known in America. A picture displayed on the previous page, typical New England farmhouses. The first of these is the old colonial country house of New England. There are two or three varieties of this type, but all of them good. The second is the old antebellum plantation house in the south. A picture is displayed on the page, old-style New England farmhouse. These two types were widely multiplied and universally admired in the days before the Civil War and the deep and horrible results of that war are nowhere more demonstrable than in the disappearance of these fine architectural forms. After the war, men simply ceased to build good houses and proceed shamelessly to build the most crude and vulgar buildings that ever cumbered a fair country. In the South, poverty and discouragement gave some excuse, 
but the north where such plausible explanation was absent the results were even worse it may be said with emphasis that the dwelling-house architecture of the united states whether on farms or villages or in cities in the twenty-five years following the civil war was execrably bad the exceptions were hardly sufficient to prove the rule at the present time we are just beginning to awaken from that awful architectural nightmare the third type of rural dwelling to which we have referred is a modern one has been introduced as a part of our awakening to better ideals this is the bungalow now the bungalow is a special type of architecture developed in response to other special conditions these conditions being primarily a level country and warm climate as these conditions prevail widely in the united states the bungalow seems adapted to a great area of country it has two additional qualities recommending it to use on farms first it covers a good deal of ground and is unsuited to the crowding of three-story apartments and six-story factories in cities and towns a picture is displayed on the page prize designed for minnesota farmhouse second the bungalow being usually all on one floor greatly relieves the strain of housekeeping at the precise point where relief is much to be desired it seems fair to recommend the bungalow style rather freely for use in the prosperous farms of the interior prairie states a section where the farmhouses generally are distressingly inferior to the scale of surrounding civilization and where some reasonable type of architecture is sorely missed the farmers of the middle west have generally copied their dwelling houses from the towns and have taken the worst models at that a picture displayed on the page simple bungalow design from the craftsman this recommendation of the bungalow however must not be taken wholly without qualification a new style like this is bound to be abused already one sees more bungles than bungalows people who have no intelligent ideas of the style its logic or its adaptations try to compromise it with their hereditary prejudices and with their preferences for queen anne renaissance and early chicago details the results being wonderful but seldom either convenient or beautiful for the northeastern states nothing could be happier than a return to the typical forms of the old colonial farmhouses modifying these forms only enough to bring into them the modern conveniences such modifications would be very slight for though furnace heat would be introduced the old fireplaces might well be retained and the wiring for electric lights would not affect the house design similarly the best thing that could happen to the farm architecture of the southern states would be a renaissance of the colonial type of plantation house spanish mission and bungalow styles are being experimented with to a considerable extent in the south but while these may be useful in cities villages and in the winter homes of affluent northerners they are of very doubtful availability as models for farmhouses a picture is displayed on the page a craftsman designed for a farmhouse along with questions of style and exterior design should go considerations of interior arrangement farmhouses have been notably lacking in interior design and in all the modern conveniences the time has fully come to change all this while we have not space here to tell how the kitchen should be arranged how the cellar should be built or how the closets should be designed we may insist that these matters be given thorough study whenever a new farmhouse is built if the builder cannot afford to employ an architect or he thinks he cannot for usually it would be economy to do so he can at least get good plans from various magazines and many of the state agricultural colleges are now giving considerable attention to farmhouse design when the modern farmhouse has been intelligently planned by the best architect it is ready to profit by all the so-called modern conveniences
These are fresh air, electrical gas lighting, furnace heat, water supply, sewage, and in some cases electric power. One of the greatest luxuries of life is fresh air, and in the country it is one of the cheapest. Perhaps this is the very reason why it is so lightly regarded, but the way many farmhouses are left without ventilation is hardly less than criminal. The usual style of winter comfort is to gather in the small sitting room, with all the doors and windows double-locked, and with a roaring stove-fire which burns up all the oxygen in circulation. In this hot, stuffy atmosphere, breathed hundreds of times over, the happy family, after a heavy dinner of beef stew, baked beans and mince pie, quickly goes to sleep, or at best, subsides into a stupor too dull for reading, or playing checkers, or figuring feeding rations for the dairy herd. The bedrooms are apt to be likewise without ventilation, and though they have the advantage of being cold, they are not fit places for human beings to sleep in. This is all very wrong, and superlatively unnecessary. It can be easily changed by anyone who has the enterprise to recognise its wickedness. Many farmhouses are nowadays within reach of electric lighting systems. On a few farms, when water power is at hand, private generating plants may be wisely established. In either case, the home is entitled to the benefit and convenience of the electric light. Where electric lights are not to be had, private gas plants can be put in at quite moderate expense. The total cost for a good gas lighting installation should be between $150 and $300, on which the total annual charge for interest, repairs and operation will be between $25 and $50. A furnace of any pattern can be installed in a farmhouse exactly as well as in a village or city dwelling. Why is it, therefore, that city houses are almost universally supplied with them, while farmhouses are almost universally without? My answer is that the farmers have not taken so much pains as the townspeople to make themselves comfortable. On any farm where there is a running stream or a good well, the buildings may enjoy just as good a water supply as the usual city house. In a few cases, water may be secured from springs or streams by gravity. In other cases, where the streams are below the level of the house, the supply may be secured through the services of the oft-described and rarely seen hydraulic ram. In the large majority of cases, however, the farm water supply will come from a good well. Everyone knows that this well should not be in the barnyard, or it receives a seepage from the privy and the kitchen sink. It will be better indeed to have it at some distance from the farm buildings, above them if possible, and at the water piped to the house and barn. A picture is displayed on the page, Town Hall, Bridgewater, Massachusetts. This is entirely practical, if a good windmill or gasoline engine be used to pump the water. The modern method of handling this water supply is through an underground non-greasable tank, and not through the old-style inconvenient freezing overhead tank. The water is pumped into the underground tank under pressure, and this air pressure is sufficient to deliver the water wherever it is desired. Such an arrangement costs from $100 to $300, or about the same as the overhead installation, and makes it possible to have a continuous supply of hot and cold water in all parts of the house, dairy or other buildings, just as easily as the same conveniences can be secured in any city or village. With the installation of a running water supply will come bathtubs and modern water closets, and these will require some species of sewage disposal. A drain from the kitchen sink into the well will no longer be regarded as sufficient provision for the farmhouse. Now the quickest way to dispose of the problem is to run the sewage into a cesspool. A good cesspool, well constructed with proper overflow, will cost from $10 to $100 on the ordinary farm, and such a system constitutes a very substantial improvement over the usual inconveniences of the farmhouse. 
yet better sanitary facilities than these are to be easily secured through the use of modern septic tanks or through a system of sewage disposal in underground tiles detailed descriptions of such installations with full directions for doing the work are to be had in various bulletins the very best possible sewage systems on the ordinary farm may be put in for the price of one wagon load of fat hogs the home of the prosperous and up-to-date farmer should also be supplied with power yearly secured from the electric current or from the ubiquitous gasoline engine such power may be used for churning washing ironing and for many other purposes not yet clearly seen for it is a notorious and scandalous fact that the improvements in housework of the farms have not kept pace with the improvements in barn work while the drudgery of the men's work has been greatly relieved in later years through the introduction of machinery very little has been done to eliminate the drudgery from women's work a careful attention to this problem in the light of present knowledge will accomplish wonders the village home it has long been the rule in this country for farmers to move to town as soon as the stress of making money and educating the children is over it is a bad rule and one which we hope soon to see revoked or reversed it has been founded on the belief to a large extent erroneous that more of the comforts and conveniences of life are to be secured in the town than in the country in exterior architectural style and dignity the townhouse assuredly has not led the country house during the last half century the most shoddy squalid vulgar dwelling house architecture ever known since man dwelt beautifully in tents has flourished in american villages and suburbs the great problem now is the popularization of saner and simpler styles these are unquestionably coming in and should be a part of every improved campaign to promote the public interest in better architecture though the public is interested first in the external appearance of village dwelling houses attention must always be directed at the same time to the improvement of internal arrangements throughout these chapters we have insisted that beauty and utility must travel hand in hand and this is certainly not the place for them to part company public buildings all public buildings ought to be beautiful dignified honest and well constructed how few of them in our day and place fulfill these plain requirements public buildings grow up through a world of graft some contractor making a good thing for himself and a mighty poor thing for the public leaves the community disgraced with a shabby library the architect for the courthouse is chosen not for his knowledge of architecture so much for his knowledge of politics somebody with a paw is almost sure to turn up in connection with every public building even the churches are scarcely honest many of them crying examples of sham and shoddy instead of being community examples of honesty dignity and beauty they stand as monuments of pretentious vulgar ugliness a picture is a suite on the page grange hall norway m e of course not all public buildings are so bad as this times are improving both architecturally and politically everywhere we are seeing more good schoolhouses fine churches excellent town halls and country courthouses libraries and even railway stations in which the country can well take pride such examples should be greatly multiplied a good public building in any community has an enormous influence for good it does more perhaps to raise the public taste than any other lesson that can be given conversely a vulgar and shoddy public building can have no other effect than to corrupt the public taste and to lower the whole tone of civic life in the community afflicted with it no more glorious testimony could be imagined to the high civic ideals of florence Rothenburg, bremen 
and hundreds of other old european towns and cities than the magnificent public buildings which have come down from earlier centuries two hundred years from now how many of our american public buildings will remain and what will our great-grandchildren then think of them the answer to these questions will give us a juster valuation of our present civic work any town or village of fine civic spirit and high ambitions will go still further in fostering high ideals in architecture such communities will secure the benefit of good design also in shops and factories the usual country store though it may be in fact the main dealer of social and political life in the small village does not present the physical appearance to justify so high a calling in england germany france and belgium however shopkeepers have shown that such little stores may be gems of architectural beauty such buildings are good advertising and worth much more to any grocery man's business than a million square yards of soap and axle grease announcements painted on the country landscape in a few glance spots in america the old country stores have been replaced by beautiful and suitable modern buildings in a good many places factories have been built having considerable dignity and architectural beauty a certain soap factory in buffalo for instance has more artistic distinction than many an art museum or a carnegie library these admirable beginnings mark the plain way along which civic art will make its progress the same spirit should extend at once to all other kinds of construction wherever the work falls under the public eye bridges ought to be good-looking as well as strong and durable the present vogue of cement has done a great deal to bring in attractive bridges and to drive out the peculiar wretched iron truss work which has been almost universal in american bridge construction even the small items will be carefully regarded in this way and the lamp-posts cross-road signs and rubbish boxes will be studied with a view to making them agreeable to the eye telephone and trolley poles will be made as inconspicuous as possible and on occasion may appear to be even ornamental when we come to public monuments memorials fountains etc which are frankly valued as civic embellishments without utilitarian excuse the aesthetic test ought to be rigorously applied that is certain but how many of our existing american examples of public statuary and semi-public memorials would stand even a schoolgirl's test for dignity and beauty the usual soldier's monument is a fright and the customary ornamental fountain is a writhing heap of ugliness a picture is displayed on the page country bank hollister m o a beautiful and appropriate building it has been a great national misfortune that our crop of soldiers and sailors monuments in this country was harvested in the period just following the civil war that period when the public taste like the public morals ran down to the lowest possible ebb in all the states north and south these soldiers monuments stand fine reminders of the loyalty and love which prompted them but awful examples of the impoverished taste which could design nothing beautiful nor worthy of the heroic deeds yet to be commemorated to many such monuments have been designated by the village blacksmith and the constable or by the board of aldermen it ought to be plain that such works of art should be designed by artists unless something truly compatible with the theme can be built it would be much better to go without the statue perhaps this is the place to say a word about temporary decorations for passing festivals during old home week the village would put on gala dress or when johnny comes marching home or the popular politician is elected governor or the one hundredth anniversary of the town is to be celebrated a special effort will be made to have the town look its best and merriest 
all such undertakings should be put into the hands of a small committee, preferably not more than three or to five, including men and women of education and taste, and a unified scheme of decoration carried out under their strict direction. If a professional decorator can be employed, so much the better and cheaper, when the decorations are left to the personal initiative of each individual citizen, the result is scattering, inharmonious and trivial, while the entire cost is likely to be greater than when the work is all in the hands of one experienced man. It is everywhere recognised to be the common fault of American civil and political life that people disregard the services of experts. In architecture, statuary and art matters generally, the need of expert help is particularly plain. Here is a point at which better methods can be most easily introduced. The incessant and increasing duties of farm life leave one, however, well disposed, but little time and but scant strength for aesthetic study. The farmhouse is the centre of the home life, and of the homely thought and feeling of its inmates. The farm on which one has been born and bred is the centre and standpoint from which he regards the world without. All those more tender emotions which are common to our nature and which attach themselves to the home find their development on the farm as well as in the town. Sentimentally considered, it matters little whether the object of these emotions be on the farm, in the wilderness, in the village or in the city. Fortunately, man is by no means a creature of emotion alone, and his satisfaction and good living are less a matter of feeling than of activity, industry and intelligence. The place in which one lives is more or less satisfactory, in proportion, as it facilitates and encourages the better and more useful living. Geo E. Waring, Jr. Farm Villages End of section 10section 11 of rural improvement by frank a war this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings in the public domain for more information on a volunteer please visit librivox.org recorded by leon harvey chapter 11 incidental problems the problems of civic improvement have been dealt with in a somewhat systematic manner in the foregoing chapters for the most part these problems have been related to large general principles there remain, however, some incidental smaller problems which need to be spoken of, and which can be most conveniently treated by grouping them together in this chapter. Those which we shall speak of here are school grounds, cemeteries, trolley stations, restrooms, and nuisances. School Grounds Every local community takes special interest in the schoolhouse and grounds. It is because these are universally recognised as public property. It is everywhere understood further that these schoolhouses and grounds are not all they ought to be and the fact that nearly every neighbourhood is sincerely ashamed of the squalid conditions of school premises is in itself evidence of higher ideals a picture is displayed on the page schoolhouse without planting or other improvement whenever any one says a word for the improvement of schoolhouse or school grounds his suggestions meet an immediate response from all the neighbours with this firmly established sympathy, the conditions at the various country schools certainly ought to be better than they are. Obviously, the country people need to be aroused on this subject, and particularly they need someone to take the lead in bringing about better conditions. A great deal has been said and written about the beautification of school grounds. This has meant chiefly the planting of trees and shrubbery, and in extreme cases the development of flower gardens. 
Unfortunately, this enthusiasm has run chiefly to talk, and only in rare instances has come down to actual practice. Tree planting is undertaken more or less systematically on arbor days. This is a pleasant custom. Arbor Day ought to be annually celebrated with suitable festivities. There should be attractive programs and a well-organized social meeting, including the parents and patrons of the school. The social program ought not to be allowed to crowd out the tree planting feature, for there should be substantial practical accomplishment in this line on every Arbor Day. Not only should trees be planted, but shrubs and other things also. There should be older trees which will require pruning, and tree pruning, spraying, repairing, and fertilizing are just as appropriate to Arbor Day as tree planting itself. In fact, the purposes of the program should be broadened to cover all the life and care of trees, rather than being confined to the mere incident of planting. In most of the small publications on this subject, there are more or less elaborate plans shown for the development of school grounds. Most of these are suggestive and good. It is still very rare, however, to find a school ground which has been developed according to any definite plan. On most small grounds, it is obvious that any elaborate landscape gardener's design would be of little use. In a rough, general way, we may say that a border of trees and shrubs along the boundary of the grounds will constitute the only important plantings. Unless the grounds are above the average size, it will hardly be advisable to use any part of the remaining space except for play. By all odds, the most important feature in school grounds development is a simple systematic arrangement of all the lines of the few necessary furnishings. If there is a fence, it should be straight. If there is a gate, it should hang on its hinges. If there are trees, they should be in straight rows. If there is a row of trees, they should be all of the same kind. If there are shrubs, they should be in straight hedge rows or in compact masses. If there are privies and other outbuildings, they should be set on the boundary lines and the proper alignment with the main building. Pictures of Spain on the page, schoolhouse for appropriate plantings, Cornell University grounds. If walks are built, they should be direct and should be kept clean and properly edged. If there is a lawn, it should be kept clean. These things are far more important than a landscape plan or any botanical collection of plants. The school grounds require not only a neat and orderly arrangement of the original materials, but they require the still more important element of care. Most cases of disheartening squalor which one finds on school grounds are due merely to the fact that no care is given. The place must be kept clean and tidy. This may be easily accomplished providing the school has an energetic teacher and the teacher has the sympathy and support of the parents and patrons. No appropriations of money are necessary. The teacher and pupils can do all the work that is required to keep any school grounds in order. In connection with the schools and the school grounds, other similar problems are arising, especially in more progressive communities. It is found that other civic needs may be supplied, and that the public property delegated for this purpose can best be centred about the schoolhouse. In some rural communities, country life has developed so far already as to provide civic centres, which are merely groupings of community interest. At such centres, one will find the public schoolhouse, usually a centralised school, public playgrounds, experimental grounds, and sometimes the churches and grange halls. The location of these buildings in a group of this sort is highly to be commended. It amounts to the same thing in the neighbourhood planning, which the centralisation of farm buildings means in farm planning. When the public buildings are scattered all over the township, 
there is the same unfortunate dispersion of business which results when the farm buildings are scattered all over the farm. Suitable playgrounds are particularly needed for all country districts, and naturally and almost necessarily are located with the public schools. Such playgrounds should contain always a baseball diamond, sometimes a football field, usually provisions for basketball, in thickly settled neighbourhoods should contain tennis courts, should have some special playground apparatus for the use of small children, and if possible should have provisions for skating in winter. The equipment for small children is now supplied at moderate prices at many large manufacturers, and some of this apparatus may fairly be called indispensable. If the playground is not for the small children, what indeed is it for? School gardens and experimental grounds are now being undertaken by some of the more progressive country schools. There can be no difference of opinion about the desirability of such improvements in any neighbourhood where they can be reasonably well supported. It may be well to enter here a word of caution to prevent failure from other enthusiasm. Such school gardens and experimental grounds need not, and should not be so large and elaborate as the experimental grounds of a state experiment station. The experiments must be really very minor demonstrations, undertaken on a small scale chiefly for the benefit of the school children. A plot of land twenty feet square, well cared for, will be much more valuable than twenty acres well neglected. There are very few schools which can give sufficient care to more than a quarter of an acre. A picture is displayed on the page, an attractive common, Amherst, Massachusetts. Probably the usual area will have to be even less. If the school experiment grounds go above half an acre, it will usually be necessary to hire outside help for their maintenance. And as soon as that is done, the limit of usefulness has been reached. Cemeteries the public cemeteries have been referred to already in the chapter on public grounds. It seems proper, however, to add a word or two on this subject here. It is a matter of public knowledge, and almost a public scandal, that cemeteries in general are shamelessly neglected. The remedy for this is not the discovery of any artistic design, but the enforcement of plain, ordinary principles of housekeeping. If people will not adopt the cremation plan, which is altogether better from every standpoint, they should at least keep the cemeteries in presentable condition. Something can be gained, however, in the matter of the primary design. Most cemeteries are dreary or impulsive merely in the matter of arrangement. A dreary plain is usually chosen as a cemetery site, chiefly, as I am told, because the digging is easier there. If pleasant undulating ground, well furnished with trees, could be chosen, the premises would always be more pleasant, restful and attractive. It would seem as though graves placed beneath the shade of well-grown woods were almost more properly situated than those on an open sandy territory out in the blazing sun. And yet it is not once in a thousand times that we ever see intimates made in this manner. There are a few instances, mostly of expensive city cemeteries, where attractive scenery has been used or developed, and where the cemetery comes to be a beautiful park. Such a treatment of the cemetery problem, however, seems to be especially appropriate to the country, and as there are positively no objections to it, it may be confidently urged. Trolley Stations In another chapter, something has been said about the development of trolley stations. We have seen that they serve much the same purposes now served by the railway stations. They are the entrance gates to the villages. Thousands of trolley stations must be built in the next few years, and it is highly important that they should be wisely located, decently designed, and well built. 
In connection with such trolley stations, other minor public services should be developed in certain areas. A picture is displayed on the page, Trolley Station, Massachusetts, Agricultural College. For instance, many of the trolley lines are used for freight and express shipments, especially where the shipment of milk is an important item. These trolley stations should make some provision for this traffic. In other words, the station should contain suitable room for the storage of milk cans or other materials which have to be handled. In a great many cases, the trolley station will offer the most practical opportunity for the installation of a public comfort room, a convenience sadly needed in most of our towns and villages. Where drainage facilities are suitable and water supply and sewage connections convenient, the best way is to have such public comfort stations below the ground level, forming thus a sort of cellar to the trolley station. In many instances, however, such an arrangement is impractical, and then the necessary conveniences may be arranged in a separate room on the same level as the waiting room. Rest Rooms Somewhat in the same line is the plan of the village rest room, now being developed in many places, especially in the central western states. Every progressive town has found it highly desirable to cater to the needs of the visitors from the farming districts. In this way, such rest rooms are usually provided with special reference to the needs of women and children. There are bathroom conveniences, and frequently also cooking conveniences where a cup of tea can be made or a pot of coffee warmed. A picture is displayed on the page, Restroom Luverne, Minnesota. Reports agree most unanimously to the effect that where such restrooms have been established and reasonably well managed, they have been very popular. The whole scheme is so simple, easy and inexpensive that it's hard to explain why it has not been more generally adopted. Nuisances In keeping any community up to its best, there occasionally arise problems in the suppression of nuisances. In fact, there are certain features of our civilization which naturally tend to become nuisances, and which have to be checked in every locality, and which sometimes have to be dealt with by most vigorous means. One of the most common of these is the advertising nuisance. Patent medicine advertising, liquor advertising, and corset advertising are permitted to cover the face of the landscape. These are sometimes excused as being necessary to the promotion of business. This excuse is wholly worthless and ridiculous. No legitimate business needs this kind of advertising, or indeed thrives by it. Advertising in itself is thoroughly sound business, but in order to serve its purpose, it must please the people whom it reaches. The moment it becomes offensive to them, it has lost its business utility. A good deal has been written as to the best ways of dealing with this advertising nuisance. It has been found that any community which judiciously and vigorously sets about it can do away with its billboards. The women's clubs have managed many successful campaigns of this sort. In general, the best way to combat this evil is through legislation and the best legislative means is through heavy excise tax on billboard advertising. Happily, the trouble is much less in rural districts than in cities, but at the same time, it is more conspicuous evil in the country than in the city. Everything should be done at all times to rid the country of every form of landscape advertising. Trolley, telephone and electric light wires also tend to become a public nuisance. They clutter other public highways, sometimes becoming truly dangerous always forming a serious detriment to the landscape. Wires carrying electricity are always dangerous, put near trees, and the last few years have killed hundreds of thousands of the best street trees in the country. They should be constantly looked after to prevent injuries of this kind. But as far as possible, the policy should be to keep all such wires out of the public highways. The proper location for telephone, telegraph and electric light wires is possibly not in the highways, 
but in the alleys and long back boundaries of lots in closely settled villages these wires should be carried underground or along the tops of buildings a great deal can be done by intelligent planning and by vigorous campaigns toward the reduction of the wire nuisance while the advertising nuisance and the wire nuisance just mentioned are the most serious ones in the country neither one of these comes under the legal definition of the term the law recognizes certain public nuisances which may be abated through the action of the courts fortunately we have very few such problems to deal with in the country it is a curious significant and illustrative example which we find in some of the prohibition states where local rum holes have been abolished under the nuisance laws this shows that the community can protect itself against every kind of public damage no man woman or corporation will be permitted to injure the people at large without due redress no matter what the nature of the difficulty may be the rights of the community are so well established that they may take the matter into their hands and remove the source of trouble can nothing be done to preserve for the use and enjoyment of the great unorganized body of the common people some fine parts at least of this seaside wilderness of maine it would seem as if the mere self-interest of hotel proprietors and landowners would have accomplished much more in this direction than it yet has if for instance east point near york or dice's head at castine or great head near bar harbour should be fenced off as private property all the other property owners of the neighbourhood would have to subtract something from the value of their estates and conversely if these or other like points of vantage or any of the ancient border forts were preserved to public uses by local associations or by the commonwealth every estate and every form of property in the neighbourhood would gain in value public-spirited men would doubtless give to such associations rights of way and even lands occasionally and the raising of money for the purchase of favourite points might not prove to be so difficult as at first it seems charles elliot landscape architect end of section eleven section twelve of rural improvement by frank a war this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 12. Improvement Programs Community improvement begins with personal leadership. Unless there is some man or woman or some group of persons who can really exercise the faculties and responsibilities of leadership, nothing whatever can be accomplished. No amount of important talent, of outside influence, or of donated money can move any neighborhood, village or city forward without this primary requisite of leaders permanently identified with the community how are such leaders to be supplied to communities which do not have them and how shall leadership be developed in communities where it is now latent these are distinctly vital questions but they hardly belong in the realm of civic art for our purposes we shall be obliged to assume the presence of live personal leaders in every neighbourhood where systematic improvement work is to be undertaken but we must recognize the fundamental necessity of this personal beginning point and not make the foolish mistake of thinking that any scheme of physical betterments will run itself given therefore a competent human leadership community improvement involves four somewhat distinct phases and the work will progress much more satisfactorily if these different steps follow one another in logical order they are one the survey two the plan three the organization and execution four maintenance 
let us now consider these different phases in some detail in order to see our way clear with the whole serious business of neighbourhood development the survey every general undertaking for the improvement of any neighbourhood be it farming district country village or modern city should begin upon the basis of a logical plan and a logical plan can be made only on the basis of a careful survey such a survey and such a plan should be made by an expert and it is usually important that the expert making the survey and plan be not a resident of the community local prejudices often walk havoc with sound neighbourhood planning and furthermore any man who is a resident of a particular neighbourhood or village and accustomed to its various aspects is generally blind to many obvious faults and in short overlook plain opportunities of improvement elsewhere we have given some emphasis to the principle that community improvement enterprises should be unified and have depreciated the very common mistake of separating physical betterment economic improvement and social reform this highly valuable cooperation of effort should begin with the survey let us suggest it therefore in our outline showing how these problems are to be taken up a picture is displayed on the page a western prairie town the community survey one physical resources and needs including such items as roads public buildings commons parks playgrounds scenery street trees etc in fact all the materials of civic art every physical thing which is to be touched by a campaign for civic improvement two economic resources conditions and needs covering the agricultural and other industries and the means of their improvement three social resources and needs such as educational facilities churches libraries granges and other organizations of all sorts as we shall be obliged to forego any detailed study of the economic and social problems here introduced we may be justified in giving them a brief word or two before dismissing them personal leadership aside the success of any plan of community betterment rests upon the economic basis no improvement of consequence can be made unless the community is prosperous unless industry yields more than a niggardly subsistence to the people thus in a farming community the first undertaking must be to improve the agriculture as soon as the farmers begin to find life easier it will be possible for them to talk of playgrounds for the children better schools of libraries and of better preachers in the churches a picture is displayed on the page a bit of pleasant rural roadside scenery now the means of economic improvement in agriculture are very well known and very well organized they centre round the state agricultural colleges the experiment stations and the state boards of agriculture i do not mention the grange because i believe its influence to be primarily social rather than economic the agricultural survey of any section should be made by the experts of the agricultural college or under their direction and the subsequent plan for economic improvement should come from the same source an enormous amount of work has already been done by colleges experiment stations and boards of agriculture in fostering agricultural improvement of all sorts but the thing which has not been done and which cries from the streets corners to be done is to give individual communities broad careful sympathetic expert study suggesting general plans of economic organization and progress there are hundreds of communities rural and suburban in which the industries need to be completely reorganized and put upon a new track and such readjustments would be acceptable anywhere very roughly indicated such a survey might find in a particular community a large area of land adapted to fruit growing 
but without the skill or the experience the capital or the organization to develop this resource the expert and disinterested outside adviser might plan for a demonstration orchard and a local horticultural school to develop the knowledge of fruit growing he might propose and possibly secure the establishment of local banking facilities for making capital more available and finally he might outline and possibly assist in the formation of a local fruit growers organization which could develop a successful market farm industries change very slowly and are notoriously hard to reorganize for this reason there are thousands of neighborhoods where present farm practice is badly adapted to present conditions one community is making market milk and shipping it 200 miles at a loss. Another section continues to grow coarse grain crops long after the expansion of nearby cities offers a profitable marketing for the products of more intensive farming. Such general problems as these should be studied in the economic survey, and this work, if done by competent men, should result in definite and serviceable plans for community advance along industrial lines. In villages and cities, other industries besides agriculture have to be considered, and the interrelation of diverse industries comes to be of great significance. This may make the individual branch of the survey more difficult, but it renders it even more important. The general methods of procedure will be the same as already outlined. What we have said as to the economic survey and plan needs very little translation to make it intelligible in the social world. The opportunities here are quite as large, and the needs as urgent. For, as no improvement can begin except on the foundation of economic prosperity, so no real advance can continue without social efficiency. If the community is socially sterile, no increase in the production of potatoes or the price of pork will ever save it. In American experience, we have repeatedly met this sobering fact, that families leave their farms as soon as they become prosperous. The kernel of the whole rural problem, as it has been clearly stated by President Kenyon L. Butterfield, is to maintain happy and efficient families upon the farms. There must, therefore, be made a social survey, and on the foundation of such an investigation the whole social structure should be rebuilt according to a well-considered scientific modern plan. The social survey will ascertain the school population and compare it with the school facilities. It will enumerate the churches and learn what they are doing for the community. It will look to libraries and clubs. In every rural neighbourhood, it will try to find a live grange active in all economic, educational and social enterprises. It will take account of other organisations, lodges, women's clubs, farmers, institutes, boys and girls clubs. In short, every group in which the social instinct of the people has manifested itself. The social expert will find it easy to point out possible improvements in most neighbourhoods. A consolidation of churches is so much needed in many places that present conditions are recognised as a public scandal. In some places there are too many lodges, guilds, clubs and committees. Social simplification will do wonders for some communities. In other places, more often in rural neighbourhoods, an occasional new organisation will be very useful. A picture is displayed on the page, the country roads should be so many miles of public park. Rural districts especially lack organisation for the benefit of women and boys, perhaps for girls. A good women's literary or domestic arts club would be a boon to many a countryside. We may even tolerate a suffragist propaganda if it would get the women out of their tiresome kitchens and lead them together in friendly social intercourse. 
Similarly, a club for the big boys would solve some of the naughtiest neighborhood problems. Such a club might promote baseball, rowing, competitive swimming, horse racing and trap shooting in the summer, and snowshoeing, hunting and basketball in the winter. Should the big boys club occasionally invite the big girls club to a sleigh ride, no great harm would follow. We have dealt thus at some length of the economic and social aspects of these questions, because no program of improvement devoted exclusively to physical problems, as commonly understood in the term village improvement, can get very far. Physical, economic and social problems are vitally interrelated. In neither field can much progress be made while the other fields are neglected. A church revival cannot accomplish its whole purpose unless accompanied by street cleaning, and the embellishment of front yards is hardly worth while unless the home life is equally embellished with good thoughts and acts of social kindness. Every community, therefore, must be studied as a whole, and an improvement program must cover all its needs. Returning now to the field of civic art, where our immediate interests centre, let us consider more in detail the proposed survey. The civic artist, going into any neighbourhood, for his professional work, will begin by a detailed examination of the physical resources. The usual matters of study will be the following. 1. Roads, street plan, see page 38, conditions of the roads, road building, page 44. 2. Street trees, page 58. 3. Town commons and local parks, page 113. 4. Picnic grounds, scenery reservations and scenic roads, page 103. 5. Playgrounds, page 115. 6. Schoolhouses and grounds, page 109. 7. Civic centres, page 83. 8. Public buildings, page 196. 9. Churches, church grounds, cemeteries, page 111. 10. Architectural conditions, including factories, private dwellings, etc., page 181. 11. Private grounds, page 122. 12. Railway stations and grounds, page 21. 13. Trolley entrances and trolley waiting stations, page 26. 14. General maintenance, page 239. The Plan After checking over this list, the civic surveyor is able to see very clearly what the specific needs of the district are. The acquisition of a beautiful lake, the building of trolley waiting stations, the extension of the school grounds, better care of street trees, etc., Knowing these, he can usually suggest means by which the needs can be eventually satisfied. The man making the survey should make a forward report to the community. In it, he should first enumerate and discuss all the good things in the town or district. It is more important for the community to realise its good points than its defects. Second, he should point out the deficiencies with special suggestions for their correction. And lastly, he should recommend general policies and forms of organisation or administration likely to bring better results in the future. Especially in cases where civic art can be combined, as it always ought to be, with economic advance and social reform, there should be prepared a definite programme of community betterments. A picture is displayed on the page. The pleasures of the open fields should be preserved for all. When the list of desirable improvements has been duly studied, Verified and checked off, each approved item should be given a date representing the time at which it is expected the special improvement can be accomplished. These can then all be arranged in a chronological order. Such a program would look something like the following. Improvement Program for the Town of Freeburg 
Note, this imaginary town is supposed to cover 25 square miles, to contain one small village, to have a total population of 3,000, to have one railroad and two trolley lines, and to be devoted chiefly to diversified agriculture. For the year 1915. 1. Organize a local federation for community betterment. See page 9. 2. Reorganize the Grange, supposing it to be dormant, and intensify its work, giving special attention to improved methods in farming. 3. Hold a special agricultural school of one week. In this, seek the help of the State Agricultural College and other agencies. Probable cost, $150. 4. Clean up the town common streets, school grounds, cemeteries, and other public grounds, and keep them clean. Probable cost, $200. For the year 1916, 5. Organize a woman's club. 6. Build a mile of permanent macadam road between the railroad station and the village centre. Probable cost, $3,500. 7. Hold another agricultural school of one week dealing with some local speciality as market milk, poultry raising or onion growing. Probable cost, $150. For the year 1917, 8. Build another mile of permanent road. Specify the location. Probable cost, $4,000. 9. Organize in a small and tentative way a selling association for handling the chief product or products of the town. 10. Through cooperation of the Grange, local churches, and other organizations, secure a course of good lectures and entertainments. Should be self-supporting. For the year 1918. 11. Develop a tree planting campaign for the benefit of street and roadside trees. 12. Acquire a playground. Probable cost $500. Perhaps some ambitious citizen will accommodatingly die and leave the desired land to the town. 13. Build a new schoolhouse in a new and larger lot. Probable net cost $7,500. 14. Celebrate the 300th anniversary of the founding of the town by an old home week, accompanied by a community exhibit in which all forces and all organizations in the community will endeavor to show what each is doing for the common welfare. Such a program should be extended to cover 10 to 20 years, perhaps more. It should be given the largest possible publicity. Copies should be put up in the post office, posted in every schoolhouse and every church, and printed in the local paper. It should have the widest discussion and the most searching criticism. Finally, it should be adopted as far as any legislative machinery can adopt it, and given the sanction of general acceptance, the presumption being that a plan so constructed, so discussed, and so approved will be carried out. Of course, everyone will realize that changes in the program will be inevitable, but they need not be frequent and ever vital. The main issue lies in the cooperation of all the people and all the forces in the community for the constant improvement of the whole neighborhood. And this great purpose will be most materially assisted by keeping before the community such a thoroughly tested improvement program as we have here suggestively outlined. Maintenance Every rational plan of improvement must take account of maintenance. The first, last, and ever-present problem is that of keeping the town or the country clean. Whether or not cleanliness is next to godliness, it is the prime requisite of civic art. It is to civic improvement just what housekeeping is to household art. Without good, efficient, ceaseless housekeeping, the home quickly falls into disorder, and a disorderly house is just as great an impossibility as a dirty, disorderly town. 
to keep a town or neighbourhood clean and in good order requires just the same constant laborious housewifely care that is necessary in keeping any home comfortable this sort of care in housekeeping or town-keeping requires moral qualities of some strength it also requires large amounts of hard labour this labour is expensive and just as housekeeping when the housekeeper is allowed reasonable wages costs more than house furnishing so town maintenance costs more than town improvements or rather let us say it ought to for this principle is not recognised in most places and the scale of local town keeping is not up to the common standard of housekeeping a few professional estimates will throw some light on the proper cost of town cleaning the most definitely ascertained cost pertains to the care of commons or parks the average cost under favoured conditions throughout the united states is one hundred ten dollars an acre a year the proper cost for village commons may be put at from seventy-five dollars to one hundred dollars an acre a year a picture is displayed on the page good well-kept homes the greatest civic asset where the areas are much used the cost will rise it may be easily reckoned therefore that the village which has a four-acre park or common near the centre of population but receives considerable use and shall be kept up in good order should appropriate three hundred dollars to four hundred dollars annually for that purpose the customary allowance is less than one-fourth of that amount the cost of keeping streets clean has not been so often computed but it may be safely said that in the ordinary town or village of two thousand to five thousand inhabitants having ten to thirty miles of street in constant use the cost of keeping them clean should be ten dollars to twenty dollars a mile a year this is entirely aside from physical repairs a picture is displayed on the page the picturesqueness of neglect the cost of handling ashes swill and other garbage is usually taken out of the private citizens each householder pays for the removal of his own waste it would be cheaper for all and fairer to the poorer classes if most towns would handle the garbage at public expense this part of the municipal housekeeping should then cost forty to seventy cents a year for each inhabitant the maintenance work is the dullest and most difficult part of civic art as it is the most essential the real test of the village improvement society comes on this point the best committee of the best men and women should be assigned to this duty it is probably true that the first and most important step in bringing about a federation of rural social forces is to educate all concerned to the desirability of such a federation to sow the seeds of the idea so far as machinery is concerned it may not be necessary to form any new organization indeed what is chiefly necessary is a sort of clearing-house for an exchange of ideas and plans among all who are at work on any phase of the rural social problem kenyon l butterfield chapters in rural progress end of section twelve section thirteen of rural improvement by frank a war this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recorded by leon harry chapter thirteen organization and management the typical agency of rural betterment is the village improvement society in its modern form this seems to be an american invention the first village improvement society have been organized in stockbridge massachusetts in eighteen fifty three the form of organization is usually very simple with few executive officers with scant legislative machinery and a general lack of red tape there are usually a president a secretary and a treasurer 
or the active work of the society is usually entrusted to committees, as a committee on roads and streets, one on parks and commons, one on school grounds, one to look after the cemeteries, and other committees, each one in charge of one of the particular improvement enterprises adopted by the society. The membership is always voluntary, and the members usually pay a small annual fee, which is contributed to the work in hand. In a few instances, these village improvement societies take on qualities of greater dignity and permanency. They become incorporated and acquire titles to property and hold land or buildings as trustees for the public. While the village improvement society is a very simple and informal organisation, as a rule, and probably better so, its place in the community is frequently taken by other organisations acting in still more indirect and informal fashion. Certainly the commonest substitute of this kind is the woman's club. Also, it is one of the best. In hundreds of fortunate towns, an energetic woman's club has laid aside the studying of browning and Greek and art for street cleaning, public playgrounds, and better schools. Or, if the literary studies have not been finally laid aside, they have been splendidly supplemented by the study of conditions nearer home, and, what is even more important, by active efforts for the amelioration of those conditions. Sometimes a woman's club begins by organising a simple committee on village improvement, or by managing a campaign for the preservation of some historic spot. But once begun on concrete improvements, the club usually goes rapidly forward to the organisation of other committees for the accomplishment of other reforms. It may be the planting of street trees, the laying of sewers, or the closing of saloons. For the woman's club is apt to be the first group of citizens to see that village improvement is all of one piece, and that sanitary and aesthetic reforms must go hand in hand with political and moral reforms. It is hardly necessary to advise women's clubs embarking in these enterprises to call to their aid the men of the community. For the cases are rare in which they have neglected so much available assistance. The support and advice of the men's citizens is essential, but the ladies, God bless them, frequently supply the real initiative and bear the main burdens of the work. Other local groups not organised, primarily for village improvement work, sometimes accept similar opportunities when offered. For example, practical improvement work has been taken up by the local grange. Committees have been appointed, money raised and important public works directed. The Grange has often been the agent for renovating local politics, closing saloons, turning up the schools and less frequently for improving roads, planting trees, preserving picnic and pleasure grounds, etc. In rare instances, a local church has taken the lead. In one church town, or in homogeneous communities, the way is easily open for the church to assume such leadership and it may be easily believed that the church would be immensely strengthened in any community where it would show itself capable of practical leadership in these indispensable human concerns. The masculine counterpart of the women's club is a board of trade, or the chamber of commerce. Even many small towns have active boards of trade, and such societies often undertake local improvement work with vim and intelligence. The methods of management are the same in other associations doing similar work. Committees are organised to collect funds and to direct particular enterprises. Transportation facilities are improved, public buildings secured, parks and boulevards designed and constructed, and other public works of all sorts put through. In general, it may be accepted as a sound rule that, where some existing local society, as a women's club, a board of trade, a grange or a church can undertake the direction of village improvement work, 
it is better to place it in such hands rather than to organize a new village improvement society for the purpose the undue multiplication of societies is a characteristic weakness of american life three men or six women cannot meet twice anywhere for any purpose without proceeding to write up a constitution and by-laws and to elect one another president secretary and treasurer much effort is spent in organization which might better go to the actual work in view where some further organization seems desirable for the promotion of local improvements it is often best to form a federation of existing societies i recently assisted at the organization of such a federation which is brought about by associating two delegates elected by each of the existing local organizations among the societies represented were the church the sunday school the young people's society the grange and the ancient order of united workmen it is in the highest degree valuable whenever it can be done thus to enlist the entire community in all its groups in the work of village improvement more work is accomplished with less friction because all the people work together and the social effects of such sympathetic cooperation often quite as valuable and far-reaching as the physical effects seen in clean streets and new libraries we may confidently recommend the local federation as the very best type of improvement organization and as such a federation requires a larger field for its activities than that occupied for the village improvement society why so much the better a picture is displayed on the previous page the new town in which intelligent planning is most needed by all means let literally entertainment political reform and religious awakening be combined with a campaign for a clean and orderly town and country all these things naturally belong together they are fundamentally related and no one of them can progress very far without the support of the others another general principle may be easily brought to light for the guide of improvement work namely that the organization which directs it should be a permanent organization too often the citizens see only one or two detached problems and complacently imagine that when these are solved the work will be over when the new railroad station is built or the new park dedicated they think there will be nothing further to do yet the most important element of community improvement is its continuity nothing worthwhile can be brought to pass in a day it requires years to sustain effort to do things on a neighborhood scale the bedrock idea of civic improvement is to foresee the needs of the community for a long period in the future and to make wise provision for those needs the very name we use signifies that we have a continuing work for improvement is possible forever village improvement is better than social reform because improvement has no end while reforms are soon over expert assistance at this point it is highly important to urge the need of expert assistance in village improvement and all affairs of similar character it may be laid down as a rule subject only to the rarest exceptions that the improvements in any town or neighborhood should be carried forward in accordance with some well-settled plan and that this plan should be the work of an expert city planning is now recognized as a profession in itself a branch of landscape architecture the public is coming to recognize that the planning of small cities or villages and our rural communities is just as much a matter of professional experience as it is equally a matter of public importance an image displayed on the previous page wild ramble in the native woods better than a manufactured park each community therefore at the very moment when it first becomes aroused to the need of its own betterment should consult some expert in such matters usually the first and best expert to be called is a landscape architect with experience in civil planning 
he should study the neighbourhood its topography its industries its history and its people carefully and in view of all conditions should prepare a comprehensive plan for the district this plan should be given the greatest possible publicity in the neighbourhood affected every man woman and child ought to see study and understand the plan every detail ought to have the utmost discussion examination friendly criticism if the civic planner is a fit sort of man he will be able to profit by the view of the citizens he will gain valuable suggestions from them and these he will freely incorporate into his design over such design has undergone such discussion and improvement and after disputed matters have been settled by neighbourhood vote if necessary the whole scheme ought to be adopted and generally ratified as the plan of the town village neighbourhood or city and thereafter the committee should give itself unanimously and in good faith to carrying out the adopted plan based on such a plan there should be adopted a set program of improvements the library is to be secured this year the new high school two years hence the new park in forty years a regular tree warden and park manager in five years and so on the community knowing when these changes are due and what each one is expected to cost will find the problems more than half solved it is well known everywhere that the accomplishment of such improvements waits chiefly for the clearing up of the public mind other experts beside the landscape architect may often be consulted to advantage as a rule all communities and especially small villages and country neighbourhoods suffer for want of such expert help a transportation expert can help in solving railroad and trolley problems a sanitary engineer can help plan a sewer system should the schools appear to be giving unsatisfactory results, it will be best to secure the unprejudiced opinion of some expert educator from quite outside the neighbourhood. The disregard of expert advice is widely known as a peculiar and persistent sin in our democratic form of government, and one of the soundest of civic improvements lies in the overcoming of this very sin. Financial Resources Local improvement societies generally raise money in small amounts by various methods to carry out the schemes which they deem most valuable to their communities the annual membership fee is sometimes a whole source of revenue occasionally some rich resident of the place or some well-to-do corporation will be committed to an annual gift of a considerable amount for improvement purposes often a subscription paper is circulated and citizens are invited to contribute when the work is promoted by a woman's club or church or grange it is rather a usual procedure to supplement such sources of income by fairs dances and more or less direct means of accessing public tribute all these methods are legitimate enough but they are seldom adequate and are morally unsound the only honest way is for the community to pay for its own improvements public works should be carried out at public charge and under the authority of public vote and subject to public inspection the improvement society should supply only the initiative should see that far-sighted plans are made that experts are placed in charge of works requiring professional advice should bring a well-informed public opinion and a sound moral and aesthetic sense to bear on all public questions but should not in general attempt to pay the bills certainly it seems mean and vicious for a town to require its women to beg from house to house to pay for clean streets the original building of the streets is everywhere recognized as a public charge civic improvement consists largely in making the community realize that they are responsible for parks playgrounds street trees and street cleaning as they are for road building street lighting and police protection at this point it is well to recognize the important fact that a large proportion of the customary expenditures on public funds goes to projects which properly come within the interest of any village or rural improvement society 
the appropriations for streets sewers lights and water supply are indubitably of this order and it is just as important therefore for a public improvement society to see that reasonable public appropriations for streets are made and wisely expended as to raise money from private sources to be spent in street improvements in other words the first business of an improvement organization is not to raise money on its own account but to see that the fund raised by taxation is honestly and effectively used the entire business of the village the town or the country should be in a large and important sense a work of public improvement the work of an improvement society in this matter would be in seeing that suitable and relatively large appropriations are made for works of permanent improvement too frequently the stingy feeling prevails and the community spends money only for these things which cannot be foregone for a police to look after the drunks and for a poorhouse for the wrecks but never a cent for the boys and the girls and the sane and the sober never a cent for anything which makes the town clean and beautiful and pride-worthy never a cent for anything that lasts any corporate community may probably borrow money or carry up permanent improvements indeed the only correct test of a proposed municipal loan is whether the money is to be spent for the enrichment of the future or for current expenses a picture is displayed on the previous page a village in central germany clean and beautiful running expenses can be met honestly only from current taxes but permanent works the benefits of which are to be shared by coming generations may rightfully be charged in part to those future taxpayers the purchase and equipment of parks and public reservations constitute the very best possible form of community investment and offer the best possible occasion for the issue of bonds such bonds should usually be drawn to run twenty-five or thirty years and in every case a sinking fund for their retirement should begin to accumulate on the day of their issue or the bonds may be issued in serial form in which case those maturing first should fall due within ten years at the latest while posterity may be asked to pay its due proportion of such charges posterity should not be asked to pay at all in any case of doubt the present generation should pay more than its exact share thus contributing something to posterity end of section thirteen and the end of rural improvement by frank albert war recorded by leon harvey for LibriVox.org. everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.